Today's scripture reading comes from Numbers 13, 25 through 30. If you have a Bible, we would love for you to get that out and follow along with us. And if you don't have a Bible, you are more than welcome to grab one out in the vestibule on your way out. So again, our reading is from Numbers 13, 25 through 30. So at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell there are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, Let us go up and at once occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Where do you struggle most to trust God? Or maybe, maybe let me ask that another way. Where is fear in your life most likely to rear its ugly head? Because I've, I've never really considered myself a, a fearful person uh, until maybe a few years ago. Uh, and now, like, looking back, I can see it everywhere. Like, this has always been, been part of me, a little bit of anxiety or worry. And it's not, it's not worry so much, and yet, you know, those areas in, in life, right, where you just you sort of feel like fear creeping into your body about ready to choke you, right? It's kind of a dark thought. Um, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you, you live this all the time. And I'm not, I'm not talking so much about, about clinical anxiety so much, uh, but more of that obsessive need to control everything. Because that's, that's me. Uh, in fact, if I were to look back over the last year, uh, the times that I have been most afraid are the times in which I've been least in control. Like, and you know this, right? In your own, your own experience, I'm guessing many of you would say very similar. And so, like, for me, number one is, is parenting. I mean, we think we're in control, but what an illusion that is, right? And every year that passes, you recognize more and more how little control you actually have. It terrifies me sometimes. Or health concerns. You know, work piling up, leadership decisions. Um, our family was almost uh, stranded in an airport a thousand miles from home. That's a story for another day. Uh, but I, like, we felt like out of control. Or maybe, maybe caring for others. And anytime you're with other people, right, there's, there's no control. And so what I do for me in those moments is I, I, I overplan, I pr- protect, you know, I try to like circle in, I'll, I'll, do any, I'll overthink everything, I'll overwork, or, or I'll just go to the other extreme and just kind of like check out completely, right? Look for safety, security, comfort, anything, anything that's familiar, or at least that distracts me from the worries around me. And then occasionally in those moments, sometimes, I actually remember God. Oh, yeah, that guy. Anybody else? 
So, so last, last week we started uh, a new series together, three weeks uh, entitled Bold Faith, looking at this one particular story uh, in, in the Old Testament. And, and we said last week, we announced that we as a church, we feel like we're, we're at a bit of a crossroads, right? That God is, is pushing us forward, we think, into our mission more fully, and yet it's, it's not going to be easy. So if you missed it, like we're, we're a multi-site church, we have five campuses, right? And two of our campuses in particular have homes that are deeply inadequate. And while we all would recognize a church is more than a building, right? Of course it is. It's more than a building. But we also recognize that a building is a really important tool. And we've experienced that here. We know what a proper facility can do for a church. And so we have two properties in our, in our sites to, to purchase for these campuses, believing that every, every family needs a home. But it's, it's scary. We don't know, we don't know how we're going to do it. Um, and so we're taking these three weeks, both collectively to think about this as well as individually, to, to ask questions about what it means to have faith. Reminding us what faith is, what it looks like to live by, and how we together are encouraged to grow in it. So if you haven't already, turn to, to Numbers 13. Again, we started this story last week. We kind of uh, set, set some of the stage for it. Um, but if you recall, like God's people, they're right on the edge of the, of the promised land. Uh, they left Egypt after 400 years of slavery. And this is the land that God had promised to them. Now, we're not the Israelites, okay? Uh, these, these buildings are not the promised land. We're certainly, we're not, we're not saying that. But these, these things are written down for us as examples of what it looks like to, to, live, to live by faith. And last week, we saw that bold faith takes a big story. That, that if, you, if you want to trust God in the present and for your future, then you've got to remember his faithfulness to you in, in the past, right? You've got to be able to recount those things, right? It strengthens us to be able to believe that he'll continue to be faithful. And we took time last week to remember how God has been so faithful to his, his church. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. And this morning, as the story continues... We see that, that bold faith also takes a really big God. Bold faith takes a big God. Because it's, it's not the strength of your faith that ultimately matters, right? That ultimately is going to, to fix you or, or save your problems or whatever. It's not the strength of your faith. It's what you have faith in, right? It's the object of your faith. Who or what are you trusting, particularly in those moments of real fear? What are you depending on to rescue you? And whatever that is, is your God big enough? Okay, so look at the story. So God, he tells them, right, if you remember last week, he tells them to send in the, these 12 spies. After 40 days, they, they return from spying out the land. And Moses is like, well, tell us. How was it? And, and they're like, wow, the land was great. But there's, there's no way that we can do this. I mean, they're just completely, nope. Not, not going to happen, okay? And so, so verse 30 then, Caleb, by contrast, he says that Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height, Skip down. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And they thought we were too, right? A little extreme, you know, right? But that's what fear does. We'll talk about that. 
But think about this. They all saw the same things, the 12 spies, right? And there are two that say, yes, we can do this. And there are 10 that say, no, we can't, right? What's the difference? The difference is how they use the word we. Because for the 10 spies who say, no, we're not going to go, for the, for the people, for the crowds, we is just we. It's them. It's what they can see. And I tell you, when I, when I am most fearful, my we, my, my definition of we gets very, very small. It's just, it's up to me, right? It all depends on me. But Caleb's idea of we, it's much bigger, isn't it? I mean, skip, skip ahead and you'll see this. Look at, look at chapter 14, verse 8. Caleb says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people. And skip down. The Lord is with us. That, I mean, that's the key for, for Caleb. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. For the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. They see the glory of God in that moment. But most are still blinded by their fear. While those with faith see reality as it really is. And that's, that's the first thing I want us to take from this story. I think it jumps out uh, to me pretty, pretty clearly that, that faith sees reality as it really is. And not only is this is super important for us to, to grasp, this is, so, this is so impossible for us in our culture, right? Like, this is, this is really, really tough because for us, like, our definition of reality is the things you can see, right? Like, that's, that's what's, if you can't see it, it's not real, right? You, what you see is, is what you get. And you and I, we have very little room for the unseen, for the supernatural, for God's active presence in his world. Or, for some of us, or we go to the other extreme, kind of a, well, if I have faith, then I'll never be afraid, right? Which is just ridiculous, right? Because the world is scary. Of course you're going to be afraid. Like, courage, courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage means acknowledging your fear, because it's real and it's terrible, but moving forward anyway. Because with faith, you see reality as it really is, both the good and the bad. Which, which means if, if you are a Christian, faith, I mean, faith is not the last ditch effort, right? Like if you are a follower of Jesus, faith is the primary way in which we see everything. It's all filtered through the lens of faith. Faith that God loves my kids more than I do. Faith that his way is better than mine. Faith that he is my provider, that he is my defender. Faith that he is the one ultimately, right, who's going to build his church. And our we, as God's people, always includes God. His active participation with us in his world. Do you believe that? I mean, it kind of reminds me uh, when our kids were younger and they were like really, really afraid. We'd often end up trying to do this to like try to calm their fears. You know, we, we'd hold them and I'd often say to them over and over and over again, who's got you, right? Some of you have done like, who's, who's got you? 
who, who, I mean, come on, who's got you, right? And eventually maybe, you know, daddy, and then I'd say, well, like, do I, do I look afraid, right? Maybe you've done that similar thing. And I think about that as like, I'm nothing, right? But yet you and I, we, like, we have a heavenly father who does the same for us, who holds us, who says, church, who's got you? Who's got you? He says, do I look scared, people, right? And the reality is, knowing who is with you drastically changes what you see around you. Knowing who is with you, it changes, it changes reality for you. It changes what you see about you, and faith sees reality as it really is. But you know what? The opposite is also true. And man, we know this. Like, we are, we are intimate with this one. And we get a unique look into what fear does to us. Because fear does the opposite. Fear distorts what's really real. Right? You know it, I know it. So faith helps us see while fear blinds us, doesn't it? Because they just, they just saw the glory of God, which had got to be, I mean, it's got to be pretty cool. I can't imagine, right? Uh, but they, they saw that, but their fear still determines their focus. And we have this uh, conversation often as a family. Um, particularly when, when I, or any of us, but, you know, I'm talking about me here, like, if I'm, like, really, really tired or really, really hungry, you know those moments, right? Like, I literally have to remind myself, Nathan, you don't hate everything, right? You're just hangry, right? Or you're just, you're just super exhausted. And if you think, if you think those things alter your reality, distort what you see around you, you should just wait till you see what fear does. We had a moment like this just this last week as a family. Uh, we were all like coma asleep in our beds uh, one night this week when, I still don't know why, the uh, smoke alarms just started going off. Like the whole house, not the, not the chirping, like the blaring, okay? And I mean, in those moments, everything was fine, you know, whatever. But like, when you're afraid, like truly afraid, you lose your mind, don't you? Like everything just breaks down. And we see here, in this story, for them, three ways in which fear just makes you lose your mind. Or it makes, or it just, it distorts, it distorts our reality. So first, first, when fear replaces faith, the giants look bigger. The giants look bigger. I mean, did you, did you catch that, right? The obstacles, they just look more extreme in those moments when we're truly afraid. The people are so tall, Moses, we're like grasshoppers, there's no way we can do this. In many ways, they're right, right? We said this last week. I mean, one of the reasons I think God has them go spy out the land is because God wants them to know that they can't do it, that it is too big, that the task is too large on their own, that the obstacles will stop them unless he comes with them. He wants us to see it, to acknowledge it, to recognize our fear, and yet to remember that God is bigger still. Because the people, they have a choice here, right? They can... They can double down on the promises of God and move forward. Or they can double down on their own limitations and run scared. What in your life looks bigger than God right now? Second, when fear replaces faith, the familiar looks better. Which honestly, in this story, like this would be the most shocking to me if I didn't know my own heart, right? Because um, look, look what happens, 14 verse 1. 
It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Yeah, let's do that. And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And they'd, they'd rather go back. I mean, they, they are so afraid that even their, even their memories are distorted, right? Remember the e- Egypt, good old days, right? When we were slaves for 400 years and our people, and we had to make bricks without straws and they just kill our babies whenever they wanted to. Yeah, but, but remember the views we had of the pyramids, right? They're like, what, what, what on earth? But you know it. I know it. Like when you're afraid, the familiar draws us in. Like they would rather pick the pain that they know of the past than the unknown struggle somewhere out there in the future. Because at least, at least it's familiar. And it's, it's ridiculous, right? But you do this, I do this. Yes, I've got plenty of food and lots of stuff. And yes, yes, Jesus died for my sins and I'll live forever with him. But remember the good old days. Whatever those are, right? Remember those things in the past? Whatever, whatever is familiar, right? Just, there is nothing like fear to drive us to the familiar because we feel like we can control the familiar, right? Well, faith almost always pushes us out of our comfort zone, stretches us. I mean, it is uncharted territory, this, this life with God. And so where, where do you feel comfort or safety or the familiar beckoning you? Where is it calling you away from what God wants for you? And will you give in? And then third, when fear replaces faith, the status quo looks easier. Oh man, I know this one personally, right? It's almost always true in my heart. The status quo, it just looks easier. I mean, for the Israelites, think about it. They can enjoy the grapes of God's promise or they can dig graves in the wilderness. 14, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, oh, sorry, wrong spot, wrong spot, let's see. Yeah, yeah, 14, 11. Uh, And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I mean, listen, listen, church, the worst sin is unbelief. Like a faithless heart. And we, when, when we abandon trust in God, do you, do you see what he says? God says that we despise him. Like it's not just a harmless little thing or pushing him aside. Like when we don't trust him, we, we're saying, God, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. You don't have any power. You, you, you can't do this. And God gives them what they want. Verse 22, God says, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. Only Caleb and Joshua. We'll see that next week. And while this, I mean, this... This breaks God's heart. And think about it. I mean, God is so patient. Ten times, right? 
And yet he agrees to their terms, doesn't he? I mean, that's the ironic thing. God gives us what we want, like death in the wilderness, okay. That can be arranged. And they dig graves in the wilderness for an entire generation. Do you see what's at stake for them? I mean, don't don't miss this. In our our fear-filled moments, it is so easy to focus on the cost of moving forward. Like, that's, that's where I get hung up, right? Maybe, maybe you've experienced, like, the cost of, moving, like the cost of, of forgiving that friend, right? The cost of, of healing words in that relation, the cost of that spiritual conversation or that career change, right? And I'm not minimizing the cost. There is always a cost with following Jesus. Every step forward costs something if you're with God. But in our fear-distorted reality, we rarely ask the opposite question. What's the cost of not moving forward? What happens if I don't follow him here? What's the cost of my unbelief? And these are questions all of us have to wrestle with, right? Regardless of your circumstance, right? Individually, as a family, and maybe at work, like all of us have to wrestle with these things. And these are questions that we've been wrestling with collectively as well. And so what, what about us today, here, Christ community? Again, no, we're, we're, not, we're not the Israelites, but we want to learn from their mistakes, right? From their failures. How can we possibly move forward? We have two homeless campuses. We're a growing church, an, an incredibly generous church, and yet we have serious budget constraints. The giants are big, familiar looks cozy, right? Status quo is tempting. And yet the opportunity we have is now. And I want, I want Gabe, our downtown campus pastor, uh, to share a little bit about that right now for us. Let's watch. It was two years ago. We were at this exciting time. The, the, the space was packed again and again, and people were leaning up against the back wall. And as exciting as one particular Sunday was, I heard some really discouraging news from one of our leaders who was greeting at the front door. They came up to me and said, a guest came in and said, wow, this is exciting. This is full. And they looked around. They couldn't find a seat. And then they said, I'll be back next week. The sad part to that story that's so discouraging to me is that as far as our leaders know, as far as I know, they never came back. We as a church long to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and our world for Jesus Christ. And as great as our downtown campus space has been for us, the problem is is that we need more space to accomplish our mission, to accomplish our mission for the people who are currently here and the people we haven't even met yet. If you were to walk into our space, let me just paint a quick picture for you. You would find chairs in nearly every conceivable space we have and probably spaces we shouldn't have them. And if you want to talk to somebody after the service, you're going to have to scoot a little bit quicker because our one-room schoolhouse, although it was great for a season, doesn't have space for a lobby, hallways, or any sort of connection outside of the Sunday morning worship gathering. And if you were to come here with your children, where do your little preschoolers and your elementary kids, this growing demographic downtown because of wonderful infrastructure that's being built up, where do they go? Well, they would meet some phenomenal volunteers at the back of our building phenomenal volunteers. And they would say, your kids are marvelous. You're going to have to trust me because I'm going to take them out the back door 
down an alleyway to another building downtown while you stay here. Now imagine you're visiting parents, and this is your first Sunday to a church, and you're really not sure about church or Jesus, and somebody says they're going to take your kids to another building downtown. That's our reality as a campus. And I think if our campus is to continue to grow, our downtown campus is to continue to grow, we need more space, a more permanent home. And over the past 18 months, we've been looking for different opportunities. We've kind of scoured high and low and tried to stay within the neighborhood of impact. And if you've been downtown, you've seen construction everywhere. There's revitalization, which means the opportunities continue to decrease while our need continues to increase. As a pastoral staff across campuses and with the affirmation of our elder board, we know that the need is great and the need is now. And we really believe that the time is now to move forward. And if we do, oh, we'll have the opportunity to accomplish our mission in a more robust way, such that every guest who walks in the door will feel welcomed in the essence and the reminiscence of Jesus himself. And our children will be valued the way they deserve to be valued and having space for them and this caring family and in our home, not only now, but for generations to come. Thanks so much. I love that. For generations to come. And I'd encourage you, if you've never been to our downtown campus, uh, try to go some Sunday. Uh, same, uh, they have 9 and 1045 services. It's easy to find the location on our website uh, or Google Maps. Um, go, see it. Don't all go at once because you will break them. Um, but go, go, go visit it. That's amazing what God is doing in that place. And somebody, somebody asked me recently, uh, just kind of from a personal standpoint, like, how do you, how do you feel about all this? Like, what's going on in, in here as you think about this huge leap forward as an organization? Um, and my response is, I'm scared, honestly. Uh, and, and yet, I also, I mean, the giants are big, right? And they're scary, and it makes sense to be scared. And yet, I also, I also said in that moment, but I am, I am so thankful to be a part of a church that continually stretches my faith, that won't let me get comfortable, lazy. As much as I love the safe and the predictable and the easy, the familiar, right, it won't let me do that. Um, and I, I want to be a part of a church that believes Jesus is worth it, right? And we could, we could spend all day talking about the cost of, of moving forward, because uh, it ain't going to be cheap, I can tell you that much. Um, and yet we believe with God's lead that the cost of not moving forward is so much higher. Uh, certainly for Shawnee Mission in downtown, but for all of us and what we believe God wants to accomplish through his church in our city. I mean, this is our mission. Um, and we continually have to ask ourselves, what kind of church do we want to be? Like, what, what kind of church do you want to go to? And yeah, it may be easy to point out, we want, well, certain kinds of services and, and programs, and I, I get that, and hopefully we have those in decent ways here. I'm not minimizing that. But is that all we want? Or do you want to be a part of a church that constantly seeks new ways to give itself away? has a big mission and a big God for our whole city. Bold faith takes a big God. And if this, if this is the answer to our fears, both collectively as we think institutionally, as well as individually in our own daily lives, the things that we, we wrestle with, if, if, if that's the key, right? A big God. How do we see God bigger? Like, we're not going to change his size, right? You know that. But how do we, how do we see him more in, in his fullness? And I, let me just give three, three quick tips as we end here um, to help God grow in our own imaginations. First, if you want a bigger God, you've got to get smaller. That's step one, get smaller. I mean, the reason my fears are often so enormous is because I think I'm the solution, right? 
I mean, I, I'm convinced most, in most circumstances that if I can't do it, it cannot be done, which is death in moments of real heartache and pain, right? And the reality, the reality is if you are trying to live your life out of your own resources, you should be afraid because you're not wise enough like, you don't have enough love inside you. Like, you don't, you're not gifted enough. Like, none of us in this room have what it takes to live this life the way we, we were created for, designed for, because we're, we're broken, we're messed up. We don't have what it takes. And yet, our God who loves us, who comes near to us, he has more than enough and is eager to share. And the moment you and I recognize, I don't have what it takes to be a good enough parent, I don't, I don't have what it takes to manage my health concerns. I don't, I don't have what it takes to fix that relationship or to be that kind of person at my work. I don't have what it takes. Like the moment you recognize that, yes, it's terrifying, right? Because you're out of control. But it forces us to trust. It forces to us to look to the one who has all and more and is ready to share. If you want a bigger God, you've got to get smaller. Second, second you've got to look wider if you want a bigger God. So get, get smaller, look wider. Again, I, I know me, right? Fear grows best in my own heart in isolation. Because it, it fo- forces me down to, like, to, to feel my inadequacy, right, when you're, when you're alone. And, and our, our we, as we said, yes, it includes God. But aren't you glad it also includes God's people? That when my faith is weak, somebody else here has faith that's strong, right? When, when I don't have what it takes, there's somebody else who can help and be a part of that. And, and as we think about like purchasing two church buildings, right? We're not alone. There are five congregations who are passionately committed to this together. And that, that gives me hope. I mean, if you, if you are living an isolated existence, I mean, we, we're glad you're here. We want you here. We want that, we want that to change though here. We want, we want more for you here. Because if you're, if you're living a, an isolated ex- existence, of course you're anxious. Of course you're afraid. And yet, church community, I mean, any community, right? It's scary. It comes at a cost. But when we look wider, God gets bigger. Get smaller, look wider, and finally pray bigger. Pray bigger. Sometimes I wonder why my prayers are so puny. Why, why I don't pray more? Like, it's no wonder that we're so afraid so often. I once heard prayer defined something like this. I don't, I don't remember the exact quote, but this is my best, my best attempt at it. That prayer is believing God's promises and having the audacity to ask God to keep his word, to keep those promises. I love, I love that. Ask God to keep his promises to you. Like know what they are from his word and, and say, God, would you be faithful to those things in my life and in my family's life and in my work's life? Take your fears, worries, anxieties to him, and please pray for your church. A while, a while back, I, uh, I got one of these uh, fancy watches. Um, kind of a big deal. Um, it's, got, it's got heart rate on it, which Kelly makes fun of me all the time because like, I get so obsessed with it. Right? right now, if you're curious, 83 beats per minute is what I'm doing right now. Um, not bad, actually. 84. Okay. Uh, so I, I, get a, I get a little obsessed about it. And, and so, you know, a, a few months ago, I, I realized, uh, I just sort of noticed that my, my lowest average resting heart rate every day was roughly about the same time. I'm like, well, that's weird, right? Like, what's, what's unique? And I, it's r- roughly around 530 in the morning. 
Uh, and I've already woken up at that point. If you're thinking, well, you're just asleep. No, that's not, that's not true in this case. Um, it's roughly right, right around 5.30. And, you know, part of my habit, this is not, this is not me saying I'm, I'm spiritual. This is just a habit, right? Um, I, am, I am a broken, messed up individual. But one of my habits is that I get here most mornings at 5.15, and I spend the beginning part of my day praying, reading my Bible, and drinking my coffee. Um, and you can decide which of those I love the most. It's the coffee. I'm, not, I'm just, I'm being honest. I wish it was otherwise. But usually it's, most mornings anyway, it's, it's the coffee. Um, but it's, it's during those brief moments. I mean, it, just, it just surprised me. It shouldn't surprise me, but it surprised me when I saw it. It's during those brief moments on a daily basis that my entire being is at most rest is while I'm praying. Why, why is that? I don't think it's because I dozed off uh, while praying, although that's happened before. I think, it's, I think it's because it's in those moments. And sometimes it's only in those moments for the entire day, Right? It's in those moments, though, where I, I recognize the giants around me. And even if it's just for a split second, I actually see and actually believe, even if it's just those moments the entire day, that, that God is bigger. And it, it reframes my whole being. It, it gets me started right. And yes, I, you know, five minutes later, it's back to, to me trying to be the savior of the world and trying to do everything on my own. I know, I know my shortcomings, but in those moments, God gets big. I get just a taste of what Paul says in Philippians. I love this. He says, the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is big and the Lord is near. He, he is our we, and when we see him rightly, we see reality as it really is, under his loving authority. And Jesus knows. He knows what it's like to face our fears. I mean, do you know that there's a moment uh, in the Gospels where Jesus, he's so overwhelmed with anguish that he actually, while he's praying, he actually sweats blood. Think about that. Like, think about the level of pain and anguish. I mean, he knows what it's like. Whatever, whatever you carry, whatever you're afraid of, whatever suffering you'd experience, he knows. And he fought our greatest enemies, death and sin on the cross, and he rose victorious. This is who we pray to. This is the big God who goes before us, who stands beside us, and who now lives within us. Church, will we trust him? Let's pray. Father, we need, we need you to do this. God, as much as I want to trust you more, I know my default is to go back into my own attempts to rescue myself, to manage my problems, to control my existence. And God, I, I, God we, together we repent of that and we acknowledge that we cannot do it. I don't have what it takes to live this life that you've called me to. And none of us do. But Lord Jesus, we believe that you do. And we believe that you are generous to all who ask. Give it to us, we pray. Amen.